patience is a virtue. Not right now it isn't. Nothing says romance like the gift of a kidnapped, injured woman. Life finds a way. So, pretty much touch anything and get your head chopped off. I hereby christen this budget Barbie camper Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Hello, and welcome back to Adventure Links. My name is Emily, and I'm here with my lovely brother, Mason. He waved. You can't see it. And (laughs) the movie that we're talking about today is much more recent than the last two that we've covered. It is based on a popular video game. It is starring Spider-Man. It's Uncharted. So, Mason, have you seen Uncharted before? I have, yes. I saw it shortly after it made its way to Netflix, and I remember enjoying it, but that's about it. Like, I don't know that it made a huge impression on me, and I'm very curious about why you wanted it to be in a top spot for this first season. Well, I mean, okay, a couple of things. One is we've been a little bit heavily weighted toward the past. I thought it would be fun to kind of jump into the present a little bit more and talk about a movie that is how modern audiences expect to see adventure movies. Honestly, it's not a whole lot more complicated than that. I just thought, you know, this has come out recently. It's solidly in our genre. I like Tom Holland. Why not? Mm -hmm. Also, I do enjoy the movie. Who doesn't? I mean, right? It is very difficult to dislike Tom Holland. If you do, you're just jealous. (laughs) Of his mad dancing skills. Boy can dance. Another great thing about this choice is that it gives me something that I'd like to talk about, which is video games. And I will probably speak a lot to my experience with the Uncharted video games. And we will get into what it means to adapt a film from a completely kind of original video game source. And yeah, that's... Oh, I don't want to say it. I don't (laughs) want to say it. Uncharted territory Yeah, Yeah. that's great. High comedy. I'm really excited that you have some experience with the game. I do not accept, embarrassingly, that periodically over the years I have seen still images from it and been like, I don't know, he's kind of cute. Maybe I'd like that. Thinking it was a movie (laughs) only to realize it was a video game. And I know you're going to definitely lead the charge on talking about the video game aspect of this, but I did just like quickly... Google the video game today just to kind of like make sure I had some context. And several things that I never knew came out of that. One is that the original game designer was a woman, which I thought was really awesome. And then also that it was lauded early on for its sort of cinematic elements, both of the game design, mm-hmm. of the story, of the characters. So it kind of seems like it was a natural fit for a movie adaptation kind of from the very beginning. It is, and I was going to bring that up as well, but I don't know that everything that is already cinematic or has cinematic elements necessarily needs to be made into a film, and that's maybe where I will disagree with, you know, some of these things, because, like, the video game itself, okay, to explain how I prepared for this episode, today, just in one day, I watched 10 hours of (laughs) Uncharted... People playing the game Uncharted, because I do not own a PlayStation, but I spent quite a lot of time watching people play through this game, and (laughs) it definitely has a lot of cinematic elements, but I don't think that that necessarily means that it should be made into a film. So what I mean by that is that video games are now at a point where they can be so many things. They're not just platformers. They're not just 
point and click adventures, they can kind of be their own art form. And the fact that the Uncharted universe was able to bring in cinematic elements to that, I think makes it a better game. But I don't know that it actually goes the other direction. Yeah, that may not cut both ways. Okay. So one thing that I would say is a major development between the last time I saw this movie and the time that we're going to watch it now is I've now seen quite a bit more of the game. I watched the entire playthrough of Uncharted 1 and Uncharted 2 and started Uncharted 3. I'm probably going to finish that as well. But, you know, we get to see a lot of phases of Nathan Drake, the main character, And so I'm now watching it with a very different gaze, looking at it from the perspective of how was this adapted and should it have been adapted? I am so fascinated to hear what you have to say. Also, I am gobsmacked (laughs) that you spent that much time watching a video game. I mean, I shouldn't be because Dave... So Mason mentioned his wife on the last episode. My partner, Dave, is a big game player and is probably upstairs watching a video game right now. So I shouldn't be, but like, A, mad respect. Like, <laughs> that is some prep. I spent five minutes on the Wikipedia page. I will do a great deal more research before we record the second half of this episode, but I kind of wanted to come into it just knowing a little bit more about its history and then just experience it as a movie. So this is kind of like the perfect, you can come in as a gamer. I will come in as a cinephile and Tom Holland fan. I have seen the movie before. Okay. Actually, a couple of times. Like I've mentioned before, my propensity to just comfort watch adventure movies. Yes. So I have seen this movie, I think, about three times. The first time, because I was excited for it to come out. And then the second and third times, I think, just like in the background while I was working on things as just comfort. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's something that we love about adventure movies. And part of why we started this podcast is because they are kind of like a comfy place for us and probably for a lot of our listeners as well. Mm -hmm. So I do not want to take away from that at all. I now can't unsee and unhear the things that I've researched. (laughs) And so so I'm very... That I can't unhear. Yeah. (laughs) Did you just say I've seen things that I can't unhear? That's a great phrase. (laughs) The worst part is I didn't even realize I did it until you called it out. I wish I was that funny. But I didn't mean to spoil it for myself, but I fear that this may be one of those movies that I enjoyed previously that will come under a different level of scrutiny or, you know, under a different light this time. And I'm a little worried that it's not going to have the same impact on me. Yeah, well... I mean, suffer for your art, man. (laughs) I'm very excited to see how that does play out for you. The playthroughs that I was watching, there was no commentary. There was nobody saying, oh, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do this. It was basically watching it as though it were a movie, which was a very cool experience. And I got a little frustrated with the person playing it sometimes. But other than that, (laughs) it was actually very fluid. That's one of the things that I really liked about the game on this watch was that in a world where a lot of games focus on open world environments, kind of choosing your own path. This was very carefully crafted. It is a story that is being told that you are playing and the dialogue and the environments and everything really play into that. So I was really impressed with the level of detail that Naughty Dog, the developers put into it to create this story that you get to live, essentially. And one thing that I read was that those historical fiction elements, I guess, are always a part of the games. Is that, I mean, maybe you can speak to that a bit. And then also just like, how do you feel about that? 
There's so many movies in this genre that build on that, whether it's right. something like The Ark of the Covenant, this mysterious yeah. like or whether it's more, you know, like National Treasure, where we're talking exactly. about very specific, real, well, sometimes mostly, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. real historical things. Well, one of the things that I really liked about this is that blend of some historical accuracy and some historical wiggle room, we'll call mm -hmm. it, because history isn't recorded word for word, right? It's recorded in kind of these big moments. And so what you can do is you can kind of let your imagination run wild between events of certain things happening. So Sir Francis Drake, who is an English explorer from the 1500s, was one of the main characters in the first game where they are following in his footsteps trying to find the treasure of El Dorado. So they took very real elements and, you know, very real people and talked about his trip around the world and all these things that really did happen, but then filled in the gaps with, hey, there was a six month period where he went from here to here. Any good sailor can do that trip in a month. Why did it take him six months? You know, where's the mystery in there? Because he was hiding gold. Right, exactly. And yes. so that I really liked. And then also there's a fair bit of kind of mysticism and supernatural things that go on in the games that I'm not sure is quite as reflected in the movies. And Interesting. I really want to see, and I say movies because I believe there will be more. Since it was a commercial success, I imagine that they will want to duplicate that success in one form or another and could see this franchise continuing on, whether it's Tom Holland at the helm, who knows? I'm not going to, you know, get into that. Yeah, but... we'll be able to talk about casting drama in the back half of this. Yeah. Because <laughs> there is a lot. Really? Interesting. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because I have opinions about that. Okay. Based on the games. But if this series does continue on, I actually really would love to see them lean into that and go to those weird places. That's a hope that I have. You know, one thing that I would really like to talk about in more depth at some point is where does the connection between mysticism, spiritualism, historical artifacts, and adventure movies originally come from? Because it mm -hmm. seems like it's pretty core to the genre. When we look back, I mean, our lodestone kind of will always be the Indiana Jones movies. Mm -hmm. They were based on pulp adventure novels. So that connection, I think, predates our modern cinematic understanding of adventure movies, like at what point, you know, did, as I'm thinking back to sort of the books that would have served the same need, you know, Treasure Island and Last of the Mohicans and Robinson Crusoe, and these are all very like Anglo books, but those that I'm remembering don't really have magical elements. So like, when did that happen? Things like Gulliver's Travels also might fall into that category, yeah. which... Tiny People. Yeah, does include kind of like That's a world That's outside point. of your own. Oh, and Jules Verne. And Jules Verne, most definitely. We might argue that the beginning of the connection, you wouldn't really call some of the spiritual, mystical stuff like sci-fi explicitly, but maybe we'll say the like magical aspects of this type of storytelling may kind of start with him, you know? I don't know. I'm sure that there's some literary grad student out there like shaking their fist right now. Yeah. So if you're that person, please let us know. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. But we'll keep a special eye out for magical elements as we mm -hmm. watch Uncharted coming up here in a few. Is there anything else? Any other game knowledge you want to drop? Any other wisdom you want to spit? Yeah, I can do that. I'm holding back 
quite a lot of this until the end. But one of the things that I found is a fun little tidbit is that this game is not the first adventure game. It's not the first kind of like 3D run and gun platformer type game. A lot of that credit goes to Tomb Raider for developing that genre specifically. And one of the comments that was made or one of the parallels that was drawn early in the development of this game was, you know, it is kind of Tomb Raider-ish. And so it actually developed a nickname, which is Dude Raider. And so, <laughs> so we will soon be watching Dude Raider. Dude Raider. All right, here yeah. it comes, guys. Buckle up for Dude Raider, aka Uncharted. I've been dreaming about this my whole life. And the challenge gold. It's the biggest treasure that's never been found. Five billion, easy. So when do we start? Yeah, put that in your room. Hello? Hello? I can hear you. I'm sitting right next to you. Your brother believed that there was a final piece. But you know my brother Sam? What else aren't you telling me? You have no idea who you partnered with. Silly! All right! It's gonna take a little longer than I thought, kid. I assume we're 50-50, right? 50-50? You get 10%. That's me being generous. Wow. Let's find some parachutes. What? Unless you know a better way to jump out of a plane. Oh my god, I'm so sorry! Oh, crap! Come on! 500 years ago, my family found the vulture and was betrayed. So much blood. This ain't over. Hey, you still with me? Barely! What's with the cat? She's just for you. What? Life seems super sad. I'm not gonna keep this thing. And we're back. So, Mason, just before we started recording, you shared with me a vocal warm-up that you have recently started using. Do you want to yes. <laughs> share with the I audience? will do that because Queen Herbie has been living in my head for the past couple of days and I cannot get the refrain of vitamins out of my head, which is something like vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin bitch, vitamin please. So that's our new official warm-up. Vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin bitch, vitamin please. Yes. I don't know how she does it in the song because I haven't heard it. But I will listen, but that's how I'm going to be practicing it myself. Okay, but yes, we are back from watching Uncharted. Emily, I know we both had a lot of thoughts. We recorded all of our thoughts over the film. (laughs) And too bad for the people that choose to watch that little piece of bonus content. But we (laughs) talked over pretty much the entire movie. And I think we both have some pretty strong opinions about what we saw. Okay, so initial reactions... You know, I think we may as well start off with our classic, is it good, is it fun, is it adventure? Mm -hmm. Is it good? I think it's fine. Is it? So I guess I can't really say that it's very good. (laughs) I think, I mean, I'll go with that. I agree. It's fine. It's functional as a movie. It's enjoyable to watch. Yes. It has lots of things that you can point at as examples of not quality. Not quality. Sure. (laughs) But it also has stuff that I I enjoy it. I feel good about. I mean, is it fun? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is fun. And it is adventure. There are bits and pieces that I'm like, yeah, that's okay. I like that a lot. Like, I really liked the stunt where they're in the auction house Mm -hmm. and he's swinging on the light fixture or jumps onto the light fixture. And I have some details about how that was shot. And the sound design. I know we both appreciated in that scene specifically. Yeah. wibbly wobbly electrical sound design that some Foley artist or sound designer had to come up with that we really enjoyed. And there are a lot of moments and shots and 
details that I like and find exciting. So yeah, I mean, I think it's fine and it's fun. And if you're craving an adventure movie, it's a perfectly viable choice. Yeah. It has a very loose relationship with physics. <laughs> very true. But, you know, there's a lot of good stuff about it. And there are certain people whose performances I really enjoyed. I think for me, Tati Gabrielle is like my favorite person in that movie as Joe Braddock. Antonio I, Banderas was oh, also yeah. phenomenal. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of enjoyable stuff. We didn't talk too much about the plot in the first bit. So do you think I should possibly give a little plot overview or even actually go to IMDb and see what they have to say? I would love that, especially because... In my research, I watched a bunch of different adventures that Nathan Drake has been on. And one of the criticisms of the movie is that it kind of picks and chooses different pieces of all of the games. And it's not necessarily its own coherent thing. And so I would love for you to kind of run that down so that when we're talking about the games as well, we can separate that out from, you know, the plot of the movie. Sure. All right, so the IMDb summary is Street Smart Nathan Drake is recruited by seasoned treasure hunter Victor Sully Sullivan to recover a fortune amassed by Ferdinand Magellan and lost 500 years ago by the House of Moncada. I mean, accurate. Accurate. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of premise more than plot. So I think I should kind of run through a little bit, but I don't know, like my notes are really detailed and I don't want to overdo it. But basically, we start off falling through the air kind of in the present, and then we cut back to Nathan Drake and his brother. Actually, a thing I learned in my research, Drake is a name that they adopted. It's not their yes. actual last name. Correct. Their actual last name is Morgan. But Nate and his brother Sam are in an orphanage in Boston. They sneak out. They go to a museum. They talk about Magellan. Sam leaves, says he's coming back, cut to present. Young Nate is on his way to work. He goes to a bar. He's flair bartending. Sully is in the bar, sees him steal a diamond bracelet from a girl, basically says, like, it's time to get you out of the small time, kid. He realizes later that Sully stole that bracelet from him. He goes to get it back. And sort of this interaction starts off our adventure. Sully talks him into joining. They are going to go try to find Magellan's treasure, or I guess more accurately, Magellan's Gru's treasure at this point, because Magellan dies and isn't there at the end. So we're going on a big adventure to find this treasure that Nate and his brother Sam, <laughs> every single time in the movie they say his brother Sam, so I will too. So Nate and his brother Sam have been obsessed <laughs> with Magellan's treasure from when they were children, and Sam never did come back, and that's kind of what gets Nate going on this journey. So they fly to Barcelona to try to hunt down some clues. Oh, I missed the part where they get the crosses. There's two crosses, there's keys to something, you know. Classic adventure movie shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The artifact is a key to a larger thing. Yes. And of course, it's not what it appears. And, you know, they're not just crosses. They're not just keys. Well, you know, they're coordinates as well and all these things. But I have a theory as to why they specifically call out my brother, Sam, every single time. And it's my because we never Sam. actually see Sam. We see a picture of Sam. But I think they're trying to set up for something in the future. I can't really tell what. Well, we do see Sam. We just see Sam as like a young person. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, would they use that same actor, do you think? Is he old enough to play? No, older I don't. My brother Sam? He's older than baby Nate, though. I feel like he could plausibly be an adult. That's a great question, though. Spoiler, after the movie, there's an end credit scene with adult Sam. So that's checkable. I will check it. One of the things that's different between the video games and the movie is that in the games, Sam is not just missing, he is presumed dead for basically all of Nathan's adult life. 
and it is only very late into his life that he has any notion that his brother didn't die when he was shot and fell off a building, but is in fact, you know, working with this other organization. So we'll probably get into that more as we talk about how the movie and video games diverge. But yeah, early on, the premise that his brother's out there somewhere is very different than the games where he's presumed dead. Yeah, there are a couple of those details, like the origin of the ring, which by the Mm -hmm. way, listeners, you can't see me the way that my brother can, but I chose to wear my most Nathan Drake outfit today, including finding a brown string to hang a ring on. So I'm fully like cosplaying Nathan Drake right now. (laughs) There are a couple of things that they changed, including the origin of the ring. In the movie, they have his brother Sam giving it to him. But in the game, I guess he steals it from a museum. Is that? Yeah, that's actually how he encounters Sully for the first time as well in the games is that Sully is in the same museum where young Nathan Drake is looking at sealing this ring, he's kind of casing the joint, notices another older guy, who we will find out at some point is Sully, also taking an imprint of the key that is used to unlock the cabinet, and then goes and has a key maker cut out that key, comes back later, and steals it. But then, of course, the key gets stolen from Sully's character by young Nathan Drake, then gets lifted, and Sully then confronts him about that. So there are differences in how the Sully-Nate-Drake interaction first start, and I actually think it has a pretty big impact on their relationship, and I think it changes the tone of the movies where Nathan Drake is being sought out by Sully versus kind of like casually bumping into him or having this thief-meet-thief situation in the wild versus being tracked down and Sully somehow knowing Sam and having this background on Nathan Drake. Yeah. Do you think it's a change for the better? I mean, in terms of the movie, at least. I think it's easier to explain. It takes less setup that Sully could have all this background based on Sam telling him of his younger brother. But of course, in the games like that would never be possible because Sam is presumed dead. And there's no way that, you know, somebody could just show up in his life with his entire backstory, the way that it originates and then matures over time, I like much more in the games, but not every movie has time to do that. So I can appreciate that creative choice. Yeah. So having spent the amount of time with the game material that you have mm-hmm. in another movie, I mean, eventually we'll have to kind of go into more detail about like how you feel. Did the movie do justice by the game or lovers of the game? But like just as a first reaction, what stands out to you about the movie? How do you feel? Because I know you were kind of worried going into it, having done all of that research, 10 hours of watching. Yeah, 10 plus, well, you know. now it's more than that. <laughs> yeah, I like the games more. And I know that video games aren't accessible to everybody. And so seeing this story in a more digestible fashion, being able to sit down and watch a two-hour movie is very different than being able to sit down and play 10, 12, 14, 20, 30 hours of games, right? It's very, very different. But if anything, to me, this just further tells me that I would rather have more people believing that video games can be an art form that is just as cinematic, just as epic, just as carefully crafted as a movie. And being able to go into something that has a longer form, if you think about TV shows, right, we're also now in the era of miniseries and, you know, lots of things that take much, much longer than the traditional, like, let's see how much we can condense into this two or three hour period. Storytellers are really taking their time more. And I think the interactivity and the time that is taken in video games 
is well worth it because I think the story is much more rich there. Yeah. Well, to what you're saying about the production of the games, I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know about how maybe not all video games, but at least this one was made. So the voice actor for Nate and the voice actor for Sully have been performing those roles for a long time. And apparently a lot of the moments in the games were actually improvised by them, which I didn't even know that that was a thing that happens, just like right. a game improvisation. And the fact that they get so deep into the characters, also they're the guys doing the motion capture for yes. it. So the whole production of the game is a lot more like a movie than I ever realized. Yes. So it's these guys who are really inhabiting these characters. They're acting them. They're voicing them. I mean, it's some Andy Circus level shit happening, mm -hmm. which I had absolutely no idea. So some of the moments that made their way into the movie are the work of those guys that they improvised while creating those scenes. And then because it became such a beloved thing, that's something that later screenwriters and then the actors in the movie. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was the original people who were, I don't know, choreographing, designing, were looking really heavily at action sequences and adventure movies mm -hmm. to inspire the motion capture scenes that they were recording, which then, of course, became game scenes, which then, of course, inspired specific scenes in these movies. It's very cyclical. Yeah. Talking yeah. about the game as cinematic has, like, layers and layers. Yes. It lent itself very well to becoming a movie, in part because it was very much inspired by the cinematic elements of adventure movies. So yeah. it's kind of cool. Which is something that I also touched on earlier, that since the game itself is so cinematic, I never thought that it needed a more cinematic rendition in the form of an actual film. So I'm not going to criticize it, but you're absolutely right that since it has so many cinematic elements and so many of the capture techniques that were used were similar to how you would film a movie, that it is kind of a perfect transition. Yeah. You know, okay, so I did look up, by the way, Amy Hennig is the woman I was thinking of who okay. created Uncharted. But the reason that I wanted to return to that is because there was something that I was thinking while we were watching the movie that I think it would be interesting to talk about. What's that? Okay, so <laughs> I think it came up when you told me that this character is often referred to as Dude Raider. Yes. So Tomb Raider is a female character created by a man who is actually a really interesting story. He has talked a lot about how as the character evolved out of his hands, it became a lot more sexualized and he kind of originally saw it as just this really awesome badass woman. So I don't mean to put any of this on him because it sounds like he was really protective of how she was portrayed. But certainly I think it's fair to say that Lara Croft became this sort of fantasy woman for a lot of male gamers. Mm -hmm. I am just wondering the degree to which Nathan Drake is kind of that for women. Hmm. He is a male character created by a woman. I want to drop a couple of stats. Please do. As I was thinking about this, so you might have a more accurate guess, because I know you're pretty aware of like women in gaming, but a lot of people might think it's a pretty low number. But actually, a recent study that I was reading, 45% of gamers are women. So almost half of gamers mm -hmm. are women, but they only make up 21% of game main characters and 26% mm -hmm. of the gaming industry workforce. So, right. you know, not going to get into a whole bunch of representation in the gaming industry stuff, but all of this just to say there are a lot of women gamers and not a ton of games that are produced specifically around their interests. But that has not kept women out of gaming. And it's not fair to say that like, oh, well, women's interest in gaming would be like, I don't know, cooking games and like fashion games. If you like that, great. Go for yep. it. Everybody should have what they want. Is the fact that people call it Dude Raider not an accident? Is there a parallel to, hey, we have this kind of fantasy character? You know, as I learned more about the plot of 
the games as they progressed, the more I thought, yeah, I kind of see a through line. The tropes are different. His relationships to the women in the game are different in yeah. a pretty subtle and healthy way, mostly. You know, yeah. I don't know. Just something I'm thinking. I agree. And I almost regret saying Dude Raider in the beginning of this because it's a little unfair to the character of Nathan Drake as it was designed. And the series itself, since we're talking about representation, I think represents you know, a lot of great women in the games and the movie as not just the tropes of women in adventure yeah. movies and games. And as you pointed out, that Chloe eventually becomes a playable character in the series as well in Lost Legacy. So it's not just the character of Nathan Drake that occupies the entire franchise. They branch out as well. But yeah, I feel like having a starting point where you're already comparing it to something that has existed in the industry it's a little unfair. It already puts you in a mindset about what the game is going to be. And then you're having to look for ways that it's different rather than kind mm. of coming in fresh and saying, this is its own story. If I can draw parallels, that's fine. But yeah, I almost regret saying Dude Raider at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> I didn't see it as a negative thing or let it kind of limit. I guess for me, what I really enjoyed about this character, and this kind of ties into something I wanted to point out about Tom Holland's performance and something that he said that Nate is not a trained fighter. He's not coming from a place of like Batman. Like I was in the mountains studying martial yeah. arts, but you know, it's like, he literally is just a guy who's a particularly capable guy. And so Tom Holland specifically wanted to do the flair bartending because he wanted a visual way to show the audience that he was a dexterous skilled person because there's not a fighting discipline or something like that involved yeah. there. Like as an ex-military, he was like, I thought it was a visual way to show people the skill yeah, so that the fights were more plausible. And then of course we get that really great like flair bartending fight, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. That's entirely fair. One of the reasons that I identify more with the game version of Nathan Drake though, is because he kind of feels like he's stumbling into mm -hmm. success, you know, that his body as an older guy, no knock on Tom Holland's version, but we're introduced at first to Nathan Drake as kind of like a almost 40 year old guy. And his body clearly isn't what it used to be. <laughs> he's been at this for a while. Every motion, every jump, every whatever, like he's grunting, like he's hurt, you know, when he hits his ribs on something. It is not this fluid motion or anything where he trained, like you said, in some form of martial arts or parkour or whatever. He's just surprisingly lucky almost. Yeah. And that in any sticky situation, he finds a way to get out of it due to partially his own intuition and partially due to luck. And that's, I think, what makes him a very relatable character is that we can envision ourselves as somebody that yeah. can stumble into that same type of success, potentially. If, if we ever have the mind to pick up and go treasure hunting that we could, you know, feasibly... If we ever are of a mind to. Well... Man, I am of a mind to every... <laughs> <laughs> but like if we actually picked yeah. up and like we found that clue, you know, that we could mm -hmm. kind of have the same success as this yeah. guy that's it's you know, very, very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the family relationships. I like the Sully relationship. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess I see a lot of why so many people A love the game and then B wanted to make it into a movie. I think Nate's relationships are relatable. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got the mentor. He's got a brother. We meet Chloe, who I understand becomes sort of a long-term acquaintance and sometimes enemy, sometimes friend, sometimes mm -hmm. a little bit more than a friend. You know, and then, of course, watching some stuff about the plot of the game, just for context, you know, I know more now about other characters that come in and stay. It feels to me like this story 
is less about only the hero and then other people just as factors to be dropped in and taken out at will and more like he has ongoing relationships with people people crop up again across different games across different so i like that and this speaks to just what you were saying which is like to me this feels like a world that i can easily project myself into which makes sense from a narrative perspective why you'd want to do that but then also just like of course because it's a video game it's a first person that's exactly what it is, is yeah. to let you project yourself into it. And they did a really good job of creating a story that you can believably do that. And think about how many other movies and games have kind of like the loner hero. Mm-hmm. The person that has that special set of skills and they like push people away because they don't want them to get hurt. Yeah, I get so tired of that. But Nathan Drake, having these relationships, having a mentor, having a character that eventually becomes his wife, and then, you know, they separate because (laughs) he is having trouble with his commitments, and then come back together and, you know, have this life together that all plays out beautifully in the games. I think that that's much more of my speed when it comes to narrative is that, you know, you have all these people that are making him successful and that it's not just I'm one badass me versus the world, you know, type thing. No one understands me. Yeah. No one could ever understand me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, me too. There's a lot that I enjoy about this property. And I actually do hope that they make a second movie. I don't know how much spoilering we want to do either for the game or the movie if you've made it this far you forfeit all right (laughs) okay well so less for the movie Mm -hmm. but more for the game so if you're someone who does not want the game spoiled for you now would be a great time to skip ahead like 15 seconds but one thing that i read was if they make another movie it's almost inevitable that elena gets introduced at that Mm -hmm. point and this is the character that will be his wife and she's a at first, I think a documentary filmmaker and then mm-hmm. later a journalist. And she has her whole career and all this other stuff. So, like, I'm excited. You know, I hope they do that. And we get to see more Chloe and we get to see some Elena and we get to see more of him and Sully. And we get to see, well, I mean, I'm not particularly excited to see more Sully. <laughs> not a big fan of the Wahlberg Sully. Yeah, we had a lot of discussions about whether or not we didn't like the Sully character in the movie because we thought he was portrayed poorly or because we just don't like Mark Wahlberg. I think it's both too, because (laughs) I really like the Sully from the games and feel like he's much more of a mentor, feel like their relationship was much more organic. It's less adversarial, less young buck versus older character type thing. I feel like it's much more wholesome and realistic. But yeah, we we had a long discussion about that during the movie. Absolutely. And then if you you do end up wanting to join our Patreon and enjoy watching that kind of thing, then you'll get a delightful moment of me accusing Mark Wahlberg of being a racist, frantically Googling to make sure that I'm not wrong, realizing I'm not wrong, feeling very vindicated, (laughs) which we can talk about now if we want. But I mean, I think there are a couple of things. So how can you or how do you enjoy or respond to acting performances or any kind of art creation from someone that you know has some real sketchy shit about them? From sketchy to like outright bad, you know, how do you deal with that? Can you separate the art from the artist is a much bigger conversation. So for now, I think I will just stick to, I don't really think he did a good job. Okay. Yeah, I agree. And then watching the cast interviews and other press coverage, (laughs) no, he kind of still seems bummed that he's not playing Nate. Mm -hmm. Like he's kind of snarky and he keeps saying like, oh, I'm glad I get to sit it out. It's nice to watch the young guy do all the work. And it's like, no. You're mad. I can tell you're mad. Because he keeps telling that same story about how when they say we're thinking Tom Holland, and he's like, for what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could tell that. Nobody wants you, Marky Mark. I think I could pick up on that during the movie. I think I even said it. He felt like 
he was being taken out by this younger kid and that it was almost an adversarial thing between them. There was this air less so of mentorship and more of like competition. Yeah. And then the Sully in the game is significantly older, but then again, so is the Nate. So maybe they get to that mm-hmm. point and, you know, maybe that's a part of the plan. But this reminds me of something I wanted to jump back to. We were talking about how successful is it having him be younger, having this be a prequel. And I have some insight into how that came about. Okay. So we talked a little bit during the movie about Sony and Tom Holland and his relationship to Sony and how he kind of intervened to make sure that Spider-Man, like when that big deal with Sony and Marvel was happening, turns out similar deal here. Hmm. So there is a very long timeline of Uncharted being developed as a movie that started in 2008, which is like one year after the first game was released. That's interesting. I thought about kind of going through it, but basically it goes, uh, director, screenwriter, uh, director dropped out, uh, screenwriter dropped out, uh, director dropped out. It's kind of very boring. Mm-hmm. We have at one point a Chris Pratt who turned down the role. We have at one point Nathan Fillion campaigning heavily for it and working with someone on a fan film. I remember which I that. watched for this. <laughs> yeah, I remember that happening in yeah. real time. Yeah, there's a lot. But it had been in development since that time with various directors and screenwriters and people attached. No real momentum. At one point, Tom Holland, who has this pre-existing relationship with Sony, is talking to, I don't know, one of the executives and basically pitches him an idea. And he's also shared this story in lots of the press interviews. But he tells a story about pitching a Bond movie, a Bond prequel to Sony. And it's basically like, what if, you know, it's him when he's young and you don't know it's him. And then they reveal it at the end. And he's like, yeah, I'm aware this is a very flawed idea because how do you market a Bond movie where you don't tell anyone it's Bond? But that is actually how he got involved with Uncharted because the guy was like, well, that won't really work. But, you know, we have been trying to crack this Uncharted thing for a really long time, almost 10 years now. And that's kind of a good idea for that. So what if we did it as a prequel and we took advantage of how popular Tom Holland is right now and took advantage of the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home? They actually ended up releasing this like right around the same time just to sort of like alley-oop on the popularity of Spider-Man. He talks about both movies in a lot of his press appearances. So I think part of the reason that this movie made as much money as it did was that they were kind of piggybacking on the Spider-Man marketing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how to feel about that because I don't know how I feel about a studio saying we want to make this work based on the popularity of a specific person rather than saying we have the story we want to tell. We want to find the right actor for it at the right time, which you mentioned Nathan Fillion. Like, I think that's a natural fit for the wit and comedy that is in the games and having somebody that is obviously older that feels those aches and pains and, you know, would show it on screen versus somebody that's super agile and young and sexy and all these things. So I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know why somebody was so invested in making the movie that they then had to find a way to, quote unquote, crack it, as you said, and get somebody like Tom Holland and then get him to share the press with Spider-Man. That's, I would say, a little disappointing to me, but I don't know. Do you have a different take on it? No, I'm unburdened by expectations. (laughs) Okay. Like when I found out they were making this movie... And that Tom Holland was in it. I had just come out of seeing him in a couple of different things. And he's been doing a lot of work alongside his Marvel stuff. I really liked him in The Devil All the Time and some other things like that. And so I was just like, awesome. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I didn't really have the background with it. And I think I'd heard the Nathan Fillion thing. But I will say, and you clearly obviously disagree with me about this. I watched the fan movie this morning. Okay. I felt like it was too Mal from Firefly. 
Mm. And also, okay, also, full disclosure, did you just did just watch. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was the case. But at the same time, maybe that gives me better comparison. Like, it just felt like a modern mouth. But how much of that is Nathan Fillion versus, you know, the writing? So yeah. the writing and directing of something is a marriage to the person. And so... I guess, why is that a bad thing? That it would kind of be the same type of character that Nathan Fillion plays well? Okay, that's fair. I don't know. I mean, I am a fan. I'm currently obsessed with The Rookie. Mm -hmm. I obviously just rewatched all of Firefly. I loved Castle at the time. I don't know. That's a good question. Like, why would it bother me if one character that he plays is similar to another character? Mm -hmm. But it does. Okay, that's fair. And I think there's this... For me, at least, a special place in my heart for Mal. And oh yeah, I guess that performance being what it is makes me kind of want to protect it a little bit and say, like, I don't want anything else to be that. Yeah, yeah. So I can kind of understand it from that perspective. But if you find an actor whose wheelhouse is very similar to the character that you're asking him to play, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I do think, though, that we should talk a little bit about some things that Tom Holland did right or well. Not just for balance, but because I think he deserves some shout outs, especially for his stunt work. I do really think he tried to get where this character is at this stage of his life. What kind of person, you know, the brother relationship with his brother, Sam. <laughs> I'll never get tired of that joke. I know it's not that funny. <laughs> Who's Sam again? Can you remind me? <laughs> it's his brother. That, oh, his brother. It's his brother, oh, Sam. Okay, okay, okay. It's his yeah, yeah, yeah. He was at the um, beginning of the movie. I remember. It's yeah, not yeah. some other Sam. No. It's his okay. brother, Sam. <laughs> By the way, his brother Sam is played by Rudy. I don't actually know whether his last name is pronounced Pankow or Panko, like the Panko crumbs, like for breading. But he was on Outer Banks, which, by the way, oh, oh, oh I love that show. It's a little bit soapy, but it's also tremendously fun because it is a treasure hunt. Okay. So anyway, he's on that. So he's been looking for gold before yeah. his brother Sam. And I've completely lost my train of thought. Where was I going? Tom Holland's stunts. He does some insane stunts in this. The crates falling out of the plane, mm -hmm. which, by the way, I loved learning about how that was actually done. They used industrial cranes from, like, basically automobile production. And, you know, sometimes in car commercials, they'll show you this, like, extra cleaned up production line. Yeah. And it's got these big orange, like, arms. That's mm -hmm. those things. So they basically mounted a bunch of crates to automotive manufacturing cranes and then just sort of manipulated them independently. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's really neat to watch. So they did that scene and they shot it for, I think he said in an interview, like five weeks or something. Wow. An insane amount of time. It is your first impression, though. And it is a almost shot for shot recreation of a scene in the games. Mm -hmm. So I like that. And one of the things that happens in a couple of the Uncharted games is that you kind of start in the middle and then proceed to that event and then what happens afterwards. I like that. Yeah, that coming through in the movie was a nice homage. Yeah. Well, and another thing I liked, too, is that scene. So they've just gotten to Barcelona. They're meeting up with Chloe for the first time. There's some trust issues, fair to say, mm -hmm. among the three of them. She basically steals one of the crosses, the other cross. She already has one of them, and then just, like, runs away. And he chases her and kind of, like, jump slides down this roof. And I saw in one of the interviews, he was like, yeah, that was one of my worst injuries. He said he was bruised, like, all the way down one of his mm -hmm. sides. Poor guy. Um, so that slide cost him, but it looks great. It does. <laughs> so slides down the roof, and then this great sort of chase scene first across this wonderfully geometric roof of a large building where it has all of these different little peaks. And so it's a very cool visual. And then they're jumping and there's a garden and then there's a fountain. So I think that chase scene was a really fun one for me, particularly. 
Are there stunts that really jump out to you or moments, scenes? That's a great question. I'm going to have to think about that for a second. Did I steal all the good ones? You kind of did. Because I can think of several more. Papa John's! <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to steal the Papa John's one. You called it out at the time that that was about <laughs> the funniest place that it could have been shot. Is that in Italy, right? Italy? Barcelona still. Barcelona still. Dang it. It would have been funnier, I think, if it was in Italy. But in Barcelona, that there's <laughs> just a Papa John's. And that's actually not really a Papa John's. I looked up where that location is. Ooh, and I looked up Moncada's headquarters. Mm-hmm. It's like the archaeological dig, but also office building. Mm-hmm. But I cut you off. I'm sorry. I'm taking no, I, my enthusiasm for sets. <laughs> you asked me a question that I didn't have a good answer to, and so I was floundering. <laughs> so please take it away. Okay, well, then I will. So the Papa John's isn't really a Papa John's. It's actually a bar called Bar Pisa Morena. So they redressed it as a Papa John's, which... We were wondering during the film, like, is this product placement? I still don't have a good answer to that, but I'm fine with it if it is, because that is about the funniest place that I can think of to stage that scene. So even if they got money for it, fine with me, it works. But my favorite location in the whole movie, I think, is Moncada's headquarters. Mm -hmm. So it is basically a big office building looking deal around ruins, some kind of excavation. And that is a real place. It is, of course, in Barcelona. Most of this movie is shot in Barcelona. And I can talk a little bit more about that. It was shot primarily in Barcelona and Berlin. And in Berlin, they had some exterior locations standing in for New York, but primarily at the oldest working soundstage in the world, actually. They shot Metropolis, the 1926 film Metropolis, Mm -hmm. as well as many other things. But Moncada's headquarters is the Elborn Centre Cultural y Memoria, in the Elborn district of Barcelona. So it is just a cultural center, basically, that they were renovating, I guess, an old market, and they discovered a bunch of ruins underneath it. And then, Hmm. you know, chose to sort of preserve that and make it a cultural center and museum and space. And it's just like the coolest looking shit I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to put that. Like, that's the most badass headquarters that a person could have. And it makes such good sense for the story, too, because it's this guy, Antonio Banderas, who we have not yet talked about much, plays Santiago Moncada. His family originally funded this expedition, I think, was the backstory. So he feels very entitled. He and his family have been looking for this treasure for 500 years. And then he comes and he bids them across and he's trying to find it. And a lot of the story is basically the race between these two to get to the treasure (laughs) until Joe just kills him on a plane, which I love. But (laughs) this backstory of like, wealthy family for 500 years like it makes sense that they'd have the money and the i don't know it's such a luxury to be like eh, we'll build an office building over these ruins and we don't mind that we're wasting 80 percent of the space just to keep it uncovered because we have as much money as we could possibly ever need mm-hmm. i'm into it <laughs> no <laughs> i agree I love it, it was so a much. fantastic location props to the scouts for finding that gem yeah but speaking of dead mankata so joe braddock who is tati gabriel's character is just a stone cold killer. She is constantly mm-hmm. wearing amazing clothes and jewelry. She has this super badass hair. I am absolutely obsessed with her. I did a lot of disproportionate amount of watching and reading her talking about this movie just because yes. I was like, I love it. We talked about her style quite a bit during the movie, and I couldn't help myself but describe it as Bride of Frankenstein chic. Yes. 
<laughs> which her hair <laughs> so is good. fantastic, but it has these shocks of white that start at the front and, you know, work their way back. And then it becomes basically full white in the back, but, you know, short and very beautifully done. Yeah, it looks so good. And you know, it's funny, I was just doing a little bit of research about the hair specifically. And one of the top search results was a Reddit post of some guy being like, worst haircut ever on film. And then just people just ripping him down to the comments. Like, what are you talking about? It's amazing. I like it. Mm -hmm. So clearly, I'm not the only one who responded that like, I think it looks fantastic on her. And a lot of it is just her and how she carries herself. By the way, did you know she's an actual black belt? I did not know that. So she was very into doing the stunts. She did almost all of her own stunts for this movie. This was her first feature film. Of course, we know her from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Mm -hmm. And also You. I forgot she was in You because she's so different from Sabrina or from this movie. The only one that survives Joe in that show. Okay. So far. Good to know. I haven't seen it. It's a lot. It's pretty fascinating. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, so she brought some real life fighting skills to this. One of the things that we called out during the movie that I really enjoyed is they give her a full on fight scene with Tom Holland. You never see that. It's always, okay, we have our guy hero and then he's got a girl sidekick and then the bad girl fights the good girl and that's how it goes. Mm -hmm. If there's a female villain, she's got to fight another woman because she clearly could not handle fighting the main guy. And they give them a full on fight scene that culminates in her death. And I just, I love it. Yeah. And it's not one of those, I don't want to hurt you type fight scenes either where, you know, Mm -mm. punches are getting pulled or anything. This is kind of at the end where she has already made the decision that if I'm going down, you're going down with me. And it's just the most badass, vindictive, you know, type of attitude. And she probably could have made away with a lot of the treasure or something, but she decided instead to pursue them to the bitter end. And it ended up culminating in her death. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's very intentional. So, like, the portrayal Mm -hmm. of her as just a stone-cold killer is obviously on purpose and it's written into it. But the director, too, when he was talking with Tati Gabrielle about the characterization... Every time she'd talk about how she was feeling or trying to bring emotion into it, he'd be like, no, she doesn't feel any empathy. Mm. And so later in interviews, she described her as, quote, a full-blown psychopath. So I kind of just love that it's like, there's not some deep ulterior, she was hurt when she was little. It's like, she's a straight up psychopath who's only out for what she wants. And somehow that's really refreshing to see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I just love that she's like, A, style is amazing. B, hair is amazing. B, C, I don't know, two Bs. (laughs) Happy to just cut the throat of my employer if it gets me what I want. Mm -hmm. Just out there for myself. We'll take whatever I need. Yeah. I enjoyed watching it. She was a lot of fun to watch. Indeed. Also, apparently grew up with Zendaya. (laughs) So got a little bit of a Tom Holland connection. I know, right? Like they went to school together. (laughs) Yeah. So that's fun. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff to enjoy. Oh, one thing that I did not enjoy was watching Chloe try to pick that lock with like a whole ass open knife that is not... I know that old locks had pretty primitive systems of keeping things closed, but you can't just... <laughs> what are they called? The bolts in a lock or pins? Tumblers. Or Tumblers, thank you. Yeah, but I mean, old locks, very different than modern locks. But yeah, just shoving a whole ass knife in there and then jiggling it around, expecting, you know, something <laughs> to happen. Like, I don't know, I saw it in the movies, just shove it in. Uh. <laughs> yeah, for those who haven't seen the scene or can't remember the scene, it is not a small knife. It is also one of those like short stubby pocket knife deals where it's like a lot wider and shorter than, you know, you'd think. So it's sort of, it just doesn't look, (laughs) it doesn't look like it would ever, ever work. 
Oh, speaking of minor characters, I like to talk about minor characters that we enjoy watching. The Scottish guy? Mm-hmm. We get several scenes with him. We can never understand what he's saying, or at least Nate can't. He is very fun in those scenes, and that dynamic is very fun. I think it particularly gives young Nate something to bounce off of. You have this kind of impenetrable, older villain character. Yeah, he looks like he's 6'5", 350 pounds. Tom Holland is a little dude. Yeah. It kind of plays to that sprightliness. It kind of plays to the, like, youthful humor of, like, Mm -hmm. I, man, do not understand a word you're saying. And then he comes back when he's chasing them in Barcelona. So to kind of jump back to some plot stuff. They get to Barcelona. Chloe tries to steal the crosses. Eventually, they talk her into, hey, we need to all work together. They figure out we need to start from the church. It's a real church, by the way. So they then use the keys to open up kind of a door in the church. And Sully goes off above ground, trying to follow them based on GPS. And they follow this tunnel under the church that ends up in a club. I think it's called Infernum or something. Inferni? Whatever hell is in Latin. (laughs) Yes. So it's basically just like a cool underground club. They come out of a grate in the side, basically, and they bump into this guy. And then they have to blend in, which (laughs) basically is like she takes off her jacket and lets her hair down. And then they sort of dance their way across the dance floor for like literally 14 seconds or something. Yeah, they're made very quickly. The people do (laughs) not... Immediately. Yeah. Their dancing didn't work. (laughs) Their dancing did not work. So they make it over to the bar because there's a big mosaic there. And then she just demolishing history, which is something we also need to talk about. Takes a pick and just like picks at the symbol that Mm. she recognizes, which opens up another keyhole or something. But meanwhile, he's bartending (laughs) basically Mm. as a distraction. And this is where we get the flair bartending fight that I love so much. And he's guessing Scottish guys drinks and he guesses pina colada and he guesses sex on the beach and he hits him in the head with bottles. It's a fun scene. And then they dive through a gaping hole in the wall that she opens up and escape. Yeah. One of the things that we did make note of is the number of drinks that are mentioned in the (laughs) film. I have 10 written down, but I think there are probably more than that. But we noticed a parallel as well with a Tom Collins and a Tom Holland. And so we were theorizing (laughs) about what type of drink would a Tom Holland be. And so if you have an idea, please write in. I was thinking something along the lines of, since a Tom Collins is made with London dry gin and lemon and simple syrup, that you could infuse the simple syrup with something like Earl Grey or, you know, something. I know, right? So you like have this Earl Grey lemon. Yeah. That would be a fun thing to make and drink alongside the movie. I mean, 100% we are going to do that. Another drink that I had never heard of, but that came up in the movie, so I looked up what it is, is the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. I've never had a Commonwealth. I've never seen a Commonwealth. I looked it up, and it sounds delicious. So I fully want to go to a bar and just order one and see if they know what it is. So a Commonwealth is Canadian whiskey, Grand Marnier, lemon juice, and then an orange twist garnish. Mm -hmm. So it's just like orangey whiskey, and that sounds kind of delicious to me. Yeah, that does sound good. Yeah. Had you heard of that? No, I've had Grand Marnier before in a number of things, but I did not realize that it was part of a Commonwealth. Yeah, but they also specified Canadian whiskey. I think that's what makes it a Commonwealth. Mm, It has to be. If it's Irish whiskey, that's just like a no, we fucked off of this Commonwealth. (laughs) You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Hold on. Let me think of a good name for that. It's like a bye-bye Commonwealth is when it's Irish whiskey. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) I think that would be fun content is just like 
the next time that we're physically together, I want to go to a bar. I want to get the bartender to make us all of the drinks from this movie. And then just, <laughs> we go down the list. Just try them all. Beautiful. <laughs> At the end, we have to try to remember what the name of the voice actor is. <laughs> we will okay, not be I, successful. There's no chance in hell. Can't do even now. The one that's going to be, I feel like, hardest to find is the ancient bottle of rum that appears. Yes. We don't actually know that it's rum. It could be it, some sort of grog. It's in a round bottle. It's in a pirate ship. Yes. I mean, it seems to me very likely that it's rum. Yeah, but they just like pop the top on it and just start Mm-mm. taking swigs and it's like, I, I, ooh, I would nope. not, you know, there's some virus or something that's since been eradicated from the earth that, you know, would be reintroduced <laughs> from the last person that drank from that bottle. Yeah. I don't know. I would not mess with that. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a good idea. I did look up, so the guy's name, the voice actor's name, and I feel very bad that I couldn't think of this earlier, Nolan North. Nolan North. It's hard Mm -hmm. to say. Actually, you know what? That's what we do is we drink all the drinks, and then we have to see who can say Nolan North the most times without just cracking up. Oh, gosh. Okay. I come up with great drinking games. (laughs) It's an impossible challenge. I really don't think I would last more than one or two, maybe. Also, so one of my favorite things with movies, and this is so little and kind of silly, but it's one of my favorite things is like practical effects. Mm -hmm. You know, what was done practically. Sometimes it's just like really impressive. Like, I can't believe you did that stunt. And then other times it's silly and fun. So like the postcards that his brother Sam sends him at the beginning of sort of him figuring out Sam's clues. This is actually before they even go off to Barcelona. He uses a lighter to reveal some information on one of the postcards. And that's practical lemon juice. They just did it old school. Nice. Just like little kids do, wrote it on there in lemon juice and just put a fire That's really under cool. Because, yeah. I mean, sometimes things like that don't work visually when you're trying to capture it on film specifically. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad that they were able to do that. And yeah, the light kind of coming underneath, seeping through the paper of the postcard and illuminating it. It looked very good on film and I'm glad that they did it well or correctly. But it does kind of remind me of a conversation that you and I had, which is, does the lighter show up in the games? Because it was featured so prominently in the movies, like he's always using this lighter and there's absolutely no mention of it in the games whatsoever, as far as I can tell. There's even a scene, I believe in Uncharted 3, where Sully says one of these days you're going to have to start carrying your own matches because he's always asking Sully for a light. Sully in the games has a cigar and always has a lighter on him at all times. And it kind of gets annoying to Sully that he's always asking him for matches. I just thought that was interesting. So you mentioned that you had a question you wanted to ask me though. Yeah. I know that we've now both done a lot of research on these. At the end of the Uncharted movie, we see a couple of epilogue-type scenes that seem to indicate that another movie could be in the works. What would you like to see from the next movie? Which relationships would you like to see be introduced? How do you think it plays out now that we've established Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg as some of these main characters? What do you see or want to see in the next movie? Oh, yes. Okay. A couple of things. So I would like to see Chloe come back. Mm -hmm. I think Chloe is an interesting character as the sort of like, we're sometimes allied, we're sometimes, is she going to turn on us? Is she going to cheat us? But she doesn't do that out of being like evil. It comes out of being selfish and isolated or maybe not even selfish. Maybe just like she said, the second time that she turns on him in this movie, it's like, I'm sorry, I just have to watch out for myself. So like, it's kind of a morally ambiguous scenario. And I think that's interesting to watch. Can you trust her? Can you not trust her? He likes her. She likes him. Not necessarily in a romantic way, though. I think 
the game implies that there's some of that going on, but mm -hmm. I really liked that he didn't lean into that too heavily in this movie. Yep. One interview with the director, he said that there was more of that in like an early draft of the script and they just really felt like it felt gratuitous and didn't feel justified. Earned would be the Hollywood term, but you know, and I'm really glad that they made that decision because there's a little bit of like, oh, maybe, I don't know. And then they kind of leave it open. So I think having Chloe as this sort of morally ambiguous person is an interesting thing. So I want more for her. I think if, as many people say, like they have to introduce Elena in the next movie because she's just too big a part of the games. I'm very mm -hmm. excited to see what they do with her, how they build out the relationship with Nate. I very much want to see, I think there's some really rich stuff to be had with Nate seeing Sam again, because within the movie, and I think the timeline of the game is roughly the same, he hasn't seen Sam since he was 10. Mm -hmm. So this is a long stretch of like, where is my brother? And he got postcards right. for a while and then his brother just disappeared. And based on those scenes at the very beginning of the movie, we believe that his brother really loves him and that they have a strong relationship, that they went through trauma together, then they ended up in the orphanage together. So it's sort of like, I want to see that reunion scene. Mm -hmm. There's going to be tension. There's going to be love. There's going to be anger. Yeah. I think there's a lot there. So yeah. I'm starting to like draft it out in my head myself, even like they get back together and then I can see meeting Elena playing into sort of that too. And there being just, just a lot of rich shit swirling around in the air. Mm -hmm. Who can I trust? Sometimes you're forced to trust people because of situations you're in. I'm less excited for Sully. I hope they, I mean, I can't really recast Sully no. at this point. I'm not pro Wahlberg generally or in this role. I mean, I really only like them in Boogie Nights, even though that was a lot closer to his hate crimes just in terms of timeline of his life. I don't know. We'll see. I can tolerate Sully. At the end in that additional scene, I feel like they're starting to have the type of relationship that is more described in the games. And, yeah. you know, since we are stuck with Mark Wahlberg, I just want him to really kind of embrace that character more and mm -hmm. hopefully lean into the older mentor figure. That's, I think, the best route that he can take. Yeah. For me, I also am very interested in the additional relationships with Elena and others. There are actually a lot of really cool interactions in the games between Chloe and Elena, where there's history on both sides and they're meeting each other after having kind of like the common link being, you know, Nate. And mm -hmm. then there are some really sweet moments where like Elena gets shot, you know, and Chloe has to take care of her as they're trying to, you know, escape a city being destroyed. By the way, cities being destroyed huge huge theme so much destruction huge theme and these are treasure oh. hunter type stories not necessarily this belongs in a museum type stories and yeah. i recognize that but it still makes me cringe like every time that he's like you know what nobody deserves this ancient power i'll just blow up the entire city and it's like oh, oh my God. come on yeah. bud <laughs> is there no other way to do this <laughs> yeah and even in this movie too the first thing that jumps out in my mind is just sully kicking over you know, 500-year-old barrel of gold. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, actually, I think that was... Towards the end. I think that was Nate. <laughs> Whatever. The point is, we don't kick artifacts, mm -hmm. but they do, for sure. And the pulling the boats out and then the boats are crashing up against mountains. That was filmed in Thailand, by the way. Not the crashing. <laughs> that didn't really happen. But the mountains mm -hmm. are in Thailand near Phuket. And then the boats are, they're dropping them and they're shooting. By the way, I haven't mentioned it, but there's a shot where they shoot a helicopter from the cannon on the boat. It's true. Just general destruction of history. Like you said, this is not an indie kind of, this belongs in a museum ethos. <laughs> These mm -hmm. movies. 
So I think there's some interesting places to go. So I hope they keep making them. I agree with you about Sully in that last scene. I think my favorite portrayal of Sully is in that last scene. Mm -hmm. The mustache insult and then the like, hey, kid, when you hit puberty, you can grow on yourself. Like Mm -hmm. that vibe I can handle. So if they lean into that vibe, lovingly teasing and hey, you're old and hey, you're young. I can handle that. I'm just really curious how or if they try to make Tom Holland, who, you know, we recognize as a younger actor, ever adapt some of the traits of Nathan Drake, the older kind of adventure hero from the games. I don't know if that character can exist solely on Tom Holland energy. I'm sure the movies would be successful and everything, but I don't know if the narrative and the tone would be able to survive with him as a younger guy for the entire series. I'm curious, like, how he ages and if he comes into his own in some of the same ways the game develops the Nathan Drake character. Yeah. I mean, it does make me wonder a little bit because when this first came out and I like immediately after... I was like, oh, are they going to make a number two? It seemed like they were leading into a number two. Mm -hmm. And he had said in an interview that he didn't necessarily want to do another movie like that because, and the wording was something like he didn't like that it made him think about the way he looked so much. I suspect he was talking about some of those workout scenes. Yeah. And he said that there were a couple of shots where he was just way too occupied with how do I look on camera and is this looking good? And, you know, and he said, I just don't really feel like that leads to my best work. At the time I was like, oh, it doesn't sound like he wants to do another one. Would they just recast it and this is the prequel and then we go to the older stuff? And that's entirely possible. And I'm sorry to everyone who has the words going back to the games now burned (laughs) into their brain, but like that doesn't exist in the games. And it's not even a thought or a concern or in anything of how athletic or able he is. It is all about kind of the persistence and finding a way to get out of sticky situations, not being physically at the peak of your life, peak of your your life, peak of your physique. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I don't know. I think my current stance is like, I'll just see how it plays out. I'm glad I'm not the one making these decisions. Mm -hmm. I kind of want this to go to weird places. I want it to be (laughs) kind of a, I don't want to say... Kingdom of the Crystal Skull type stuff. God help us. But like, I want it to embrace some of the supernatural elements that show up in the games. I would really think that that could liven the series up and make it more fun, take itself less seriously. And part of why I think it felt like it was a little too serious was Mark Wahlberg. He has this very like intense gaze and everything. Like it's very hard. And then Tom Holland being a very lively young character can bring that energy, I think, to any role. But it's almost like it was trying to take itself a little too seriously. And I would love for it to broaden its horizons and embrace some of this stuff. Going back to the first episode where we talked about the mummy and that thing that Stephen Summers said about we need to make sure that nobody takes this too seriously Mm -hmm. or the audience can't go along on the ride with us. Right. So yeah, I mean, just my minimal research about the game, I think the one I would want to see is the Yeti people. (laughs) Yeah, the protectors of Shambhala. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I want to see the Yeti people. I want to see the disease zombies. Mm -hmm. I'm good with all of that. I can imagine what that fight scene would look like with Tom Holland and the zombies in the underground layer. We also, in one of the epilogue scenes, got a hint of Nazi involvement. Nazis seeking out these mystical things is not a new concept in any way to filmmaking, but the greed, the search for power, which oftentimes intersects with the mystical supernatural idea, like they're going to be drawn to the same power that these objects emit 
essentially. And yeah. so I imagine we're going to meet up with some people that have Nazi ties somewhere down the line. Those Nazis like the mystical shit. Mm -hmm. In film, also in real life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm excited to see if they do another one, what they do with it. I would say overall, my review of this movie goes like, ah, 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 ah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. so yeah, what are we doing next? Well, what we're doing is one of my favorite films and one that I think a lot of listeners will appreciate, but that oftentimes goes under the radar a bit. And that is Stardust. Ugh, I'm so excited. Yes. I love this movie. Me too. It is one of the only properties, I know I use that word a lot, but so many movies are made from something else. So like, it's one of the very few things that I think of as the movie is better than the book. Mm -hmm. Hate on me if you want. I love Neil Gaiman. It is no shade on Neil Gaiman. So many of his pieces of writing translate so well to the screen. Yeah. I think he just... I don't know. I'm very tempted to say should have been a screenwriter. <laughs> I don't know. Like something about his work just goes so well on the screen. Sandman has been really fun. Good Omens is fantastic. Mm -hmm. American Gods was really interesting. But Stardust was made to be a movie. Mm -hmm. The book was okay. I enjoyed it. But I just kept thinking like, oh, I like the way they did that movie better. I like the way mm -hmm. they did that movie better. Also, Robert De Niro. Yes. I mean, is there anything that has been committed to screen that is more delightful? <laughs> no. And I love that he... <laughs> took that role on. We're getting way ahead. We're going to get into all of this stuff in the actual episode about Stardust. But I love that he took the risk on that role and put himself in a completely new light for that role. So I'm very excited. I'll rein it in, starring my beloved Charlie Cox, the wonderful Claire Danes. It is a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, I really hope you join us for that episode and watch it with us. If you have seen it, I hope you're as excited to talk about it as we are, because it's really just a little treasure, like a mm -hmm. little hidden gem. I don't feel like it's that well known. I think it's easily forgotten. Maybe that, yeah. Yeah. It's a delightful movie, and I'm super, super excited to be doing it. So join us next week for Stardust. Thank you for sticking it out with us on Uncharted. Let us know what you think. Did you really love Uncharted? Do you have insight into the storytelling and the game and are there things that you really disagree with us about? Who are your favorite characters? How much do you love Tati Gabrielle's hair? Which, by the way, was a wig. I forgot to say that. Oh, really? Okay. So, anyway, let us know what you think. We're looking forward to talking to you next week, and thank you so much for joining us. For a full listing of our episodes to come and archives, go to theadventurelings.com, and we are on Instagram at theadventurelings. Yes. I'm glad you're <laughs> It's okay. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Bye. It's very violent, but I just kind of love that. She's like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. I also love that he tries to keep his drink upright as he's dying. <laughs> it's good. Look at this lens. Oh, it's so beautiful. Of his glasses? No, no, no. Sorry. The, the oh, of the camera. Oh. Yeah, the camera. <laughs> I was, oh man. I feel like I spent the vast majority of that just... Actually, um, <laughs> uh, uh, that in the games is completely different. <laughs> you said product placement, Genesis the car company. What were the alternatives? Genesis the band? Yeah. It's good for us to manage our expectations. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just... We'll fix that later.